Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of music and for every good gift that your word tells us comes down from you. Thank you that all of your gifts are perfect. Our enjoyment of them is only marred and diminished because of what is in us and what we choose to do. Nothing wrong with you. You're all perfectly good and righteous and gracious and holy and merciful. So help me, Lord. Help me as we look into your word uh, in some small way, in a way that you will help me to do, do you justice so that people will hear your word and forget about me but love you and love you for what you've said and entrust themselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Do you have a Bible? If you do not, you badly need one, and there is one near you. There should be in the seats beneath you. It looks like this. I'm on page 533 this morning, only in this Bible, not in yours. If you need one, anybody up front? Okay, very good. Please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, please. And we're in chapter 9. If we haven't met, my name is Bruce Garner. I tried to meet everybody this morning. I met a few new people. Welcome. Kudos to those of you who arrived here with small children, still smiling. Well done. You could have come at 10.30, you could have come at 5.30, but you were courageous and you got up early and the kids hair looks mostly pretty good, and I didn't see anybody arguing in the parking lot as you sometimes do in a church where people are shouting at each other until they see the pastor, and then it's all sweetness and smiles. Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. How are you? Had the same dynamic in my house for years. That's why I always get up early and come here long before um, I have to engage with any distractions. This morning, we're in the book of Proverbs. This week and next, we're doing a short little summer series on Proverbs, and Proverbs is unlike any other book in the Bible. If you're new to our church, primarily what we do is choose a book in the Bible and move through it. We usually do two or three books at once and just mix and match, but we're continually going through books. Proverbs is unique. It's 3,000 years old, and it is a book of wisdom, as its name indicates, it is primarily a book of wise sayings. And this morning, I'm in a really long section. This is why you'll need your Bible, and please, if you thought I was just being funny that you'll need it, you really do, because we're going to cover quite a bit of ground this morning. Are you nervous right now? Why would you say yeah? That, do you, folks, that hurts my feelings. When I'm a human being. I have emotions too. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. I'm a little apprehensive myself. Because this kind of literature in the Bible asks a little bit more of the reader. And if anybody dares to explain it, it asks a little bit more of the, of the teacher, of the expositor as well. Probably when you were in English class, your English teachers, as mine did, or Spanish teachers in my case, because I grew up in Mexico, when they worked on literature, they told you about all these literary devices and techniques, and you thought to yourself, this doesn't make any sense. When will I ever need any of this? Be honest. Did you ever think that as your teacher tried to give you those lessons? Well, guess what? You need it this morning. 
Because all of the Bible is literature, as I told you last week, when you walk into the Bible, you're not only reading a book, you're walking into a library, and the library has all different kinds of literature. And Proverbs is wisdom literature, and it's poetic. It works on the basis of images. So here's the worst possible way you could hear this sermon this morning. The worst possible way you could hear this sermon is just to listen to the the content in kind of an abstract, isn't that interesting kind of way. That's not what Proverbs is trying to do. What Solomon, who wrote most of Proverbs, is inviting you to do through the images is to turn on your imagination to see yourself in the pictures he's trying to paint. Because the literary device he's using this morning across two chapters in Proverbs is something your literature teacher was called personification. That mmm was very encouraging. Did you hear that? (laughs) Four people remembered high school English and said, those were the English teachers actually, they finally feel vindicated this morning. (laughs) My wife's a teacher, so I'm incredibly sympathetic, okay? Personification is a literary device that takes something that isn't real in the physical world, like love or hope, or in this case, wisdom and foolishness, and it takes that and makes it into a human being. And this morning, you're going to hear an invitation from two very different women. The name of the first is Folly or foolishness. The second, who's going to speak to you much longer and make you a much better invitation, if you can listen to her, is wisdom. She's literally going to tell you, come with me and I'll open life up as one great feast. Your life can be a banquet. Your life won't be without suffering, without uncertainty, but you can enjoy life as a feast, as the banquet that God intended because, and I want you to remember this as we read this long section, as you hear wisdom speaking, you're actually hearing God speaking. Everything that wisdom personified says as a woman inviting you to a better, higher life is actually the invitation of God Himself because God is the source of all wisdom. It was God's wisdom, we're going to learn, that set the universe into place. Things that we have no precious little understanding now, even as much as science and physics and the hard sciences have done to help us understand our world, even now we don't understand exactly how the universe, not even our own earth works, how it holds together, why it's so harmonious, why we have this thing called an ecosystem and many, many different kinds of systems within our earth alone that all hold together and we experience it as beauty. We experience it as joy. All of those things come from God, and the invitation is to listen to these two women and to choose wisely because you'll have to live with the consequences of your choice. There are invitations that change our lives. I made an invitation once, well over 25 years ago, that changed mine. On October 9th in a Bible college, I asked the cutest girl in the school, the cutest girl anywhere, if she would go on a date with me. She said yes, and that invitation changed both of our lives. There are days that she wonders about her choice, but I've always (laughs) celebrated mine. 
And a dear friend of mine here in this church who's now with the Lord once told me his story. He literally had an award-winning career. He invented some, some of the things that you enjoy in your everyday life as an engineer. He was beginning his studies, and a man he described as a genius said to him, you don't need to stay in school. Come work for me, and I'll teach you everything you need to know. And he was right. He could deliver and soak in wisdom. But first, let's listen to folly. Look with me, please, in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 13. Everybody have it? We're just going to be within two pages, so stay with me. The woman folly, that's foolishness, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. That's quite an offer, isn't it? She's enticing but ignorant. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. In other words, people who are truing, trying to do the right thing, who are headed in a good direction, who are getting on with their lives, and I think poetically this is telling us about people who are trying to live right in God's sight. They're passing by, who are going straight on their way. She says to them, verse 16, whoever is simple... In other words, if you're ignorant, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And there's that Hebrew word I've explained to you before that the translators didn't translate. They just left us it there on the page for us, to us to discern. Sheol is the place of the dead, especially those who die apart from God. Now, just run your eyes over those verses again. What do you think of her invitation? She's seductive, my translation says. She's enticing. She's everywhere. She's up in the high places. In other words, she, is, she can be seen everywhere and heard everywhere. Foolishness can be seen in every area of life. Does that sound true in 2019? 3,000 years old and as timely as Twitter. Foolishness has always been this way. Here's the first thing you're told about lady foolishness. She's attractive, she's loud, but she's actually quite cheap, and the worst part about her is she's deadly. Look at her invitation. It says, Proverbs 9, verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, what's that about? Water and bread, well, that's a pretty meager meal, don't you think? Here's the invitation, hey, I know what we should do. Let's break into the neighbor's house and eat his bread and drink out of the sink. Does that sound good to you? No. Foolishness never pays off. 
And remember, foolishness for Proverbs is a life lived apart from God. The beginning of wisdom is a reverence for God. That's where real learning, real knowledge, real guidance for life begins. It doesn't begin with content. It begins with God who spoke the world into existence, who Himself is wise, who Himself is wisdom. So right on the front side, you need to hear what foolishness is. Anything that invites you to life apart from God, at least some of that foolishness will be attractive to you. Foolishness is pretty much synonymous with sin in Proverbs because foolishness always turns away from God and says, I know better on this one, and it never, ever works out because it's attractive And unfortunately, it's loud, you hear it everywhere, but its invitations are actually cheap. It invites you into something that really you'll find out eventually was not that great at all, just bread and water. And the worst part, it says at the end, he does not know, the the fool who accepts this invitation to foolishness, he does not know that the dead are there. That's Lady Folly. Now, turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has her own invitation. See if you can pick up the differences. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. And again, you got to turn on your imagination. If you were invited into a house that featured out front seven pillars, what kind of house might that be? Your house have seven pillars? We have a front door, that's it. About six flowers out front that are mostly dead. Foolishness wants to break into the neighbor's house. Wisdom has her own house, and it's magnificent. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. Now we're talking. Imagine, if you will, your mental picture of the greatest meal, the greatest banquet you could ever be invited to. Think about it. Go beyond in and out. I know in and out's okay, but I mean, your idea of high life that you can't believe you're there. Got it? A few weeks ago, we were, I was on a mission trip, you may remember, in a very, very difficult, very poor part of the world, and our host invited us into what has to be the finest restaurant in the whole country. And it was absolutely amazing to have first world eyes in that very difficult environment and see people who were barely eating in their daily lives be invited into a white linen kind of banquet hall. They sat around and looked at each other. They watched each other because they weren't sure what to do. And it was a great treat to see people enjoy life on a scale that they evidently didn't even know existed. That's Winsome's invitation. She slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. In other words, Lady Folly, foolishness, and wisdom are both calling. They're both seeking people to come to them. Here's her invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. Have you ever felt like you lacked sense? Have you at any point this week or this month said, I don't know what to do? Well, it must be a much smarter room than I was expecting. Congratulations, everybody, if you just nailed it all week. Can I tell you about my week? 
I've been driven to the point of distraction, frustration, and sometimes just sheer obnoxiousness because about half of the time I didn't really know what to do. That's life. And wisdom says, come here. I have something for you. Verse 5, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and what's it say? And live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom offers a feast for life. There are your invitations. Loud, rowdy, obnoxious foolishness inviting you into something that will ultimately disappoint you, ultimately take your life and a banquet. Verse 7 says how hard it is actually to receive this invitation. See, at this point, you may be thinking, this is all super obvious. I'll just go out there and be wise. Well, of course. See, that's the deceptive part of foolishness. People who are ruining their lives apart from God have no idea that they are until, usually until it's too late, they think they're doing the right thing. That's how deception works. I've never met anybody in what is now getting to be a pretty long pastoral path. I've never met anyone that can point back to the day they decided to wreck their lives. They can tell me when it started. And the day it started, they thought they were right. The day that it started, they thought they were entitled. The day it started, they thought they deserved it. They thought they could get away with it. If you know any foolish people, or you can look back, much more importantly, at foolish moments in your lives, if you can look across your life and see the scars that foolishness and sinfulness and life apart from God has left on you, you know how enticing it is. The clear, poetic language of Proverbs puts these things in stark relief just to alert you to the idea that there really are two ways to live. Proverbs is going to play with this device, with this technique of showing you the fool and showing you the wise man or the wise woman all across these chapters. And the invitation is to find yourself in the saying, to find yourself in the story, and to not for a moment begin to think, I got this handled. The moment you think you have it all figured out, that's the first step actually into the house of folly. Verses 7 through 9 tell me how hard it is to receive this wisdom. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Have you ever tried to help someone and get them to turn around and go another way and be abused for it? In two different countries, on two different occasions. I won't tell you the whole story because one of them happened here. But I had people tell me they made the worst, most head-shaking, you got to be kidding me, a nine-year-old boy, not girl, boy, because girls are sharper, uh, especially early on. A nine-year-old boy could say that was wrong and that was stupid, and on two different occasions, people have made appointments with me to tell me that they had wrecked their lives and it was my fault. I'm telling you, that's the way it works. 
And Proverbs 9, verse 7 says, when you try to correct someone, they may, if they're acting foolish themselves at that moment, you'll be abused, you'll suffer injury. Verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. This is why, parents, if I might, you have to work so diligently to protect the heart and the innocence of your children and remember that what you're always striving for is not compliance, it's obedience. Parents, you're working for obedience, obedience to the Lord and obedience to you, not compliance. I keep saying that, I want you to hear it. If you only secure compliance in your home, as soon as they leave your home, they'll do whatever they wanted to because that's what was always on the inside. You want to raise wise children. You want to begin with this book, and you can't be afraid of running the risk of the wrath of a child or anyone else you love that doesn't appreciate the correction. It's symptomatic of foolishness to not listen to advice. Verse 9, on the other hand, says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will grow in learning. What's the point here? To grow wiser, you need wisdom. That's the irony of wisdom. To grow wiser, you need at least a little bit of wisdom to start. To grow wiser, you need wisdom. But on the other hand, if you're foolish, it's going to make it worse for everyone. So what what do you do with that? You stay very, very close to the Lord, as close as you can. You try to draw closer even when you think you're doing well. You remember the admonition in the New Testament that the person who thinks he is standing firm should be careful lest he fall. And you always open your heart every day to His correction and His instruction, and you listen carefully to the loving, godly people that God has placed in your life, particularly in the local church. And when they correct you and it stings and they tell you that you're wrong, you stifle the anger, the indignation, which is only the result of pride, and you listen to see if they may actually be inviting you in to wisdom. I just want so much in a foolish age for you, your family, our family, the Garners, this church to be marked by the godly wisdom that God has provided in His Word. See, we're living in a really perilous, unprecedented time. You now have the ability to surround yourself with mindless entertainment at every single moment. It's in your pocket. It's called a smartphone. It's a portal to foolishness or wisdom. Guess what's more attractive on the front side? Foolishness. If you read, if you take my advice and you read the chapter of Proverbs to the corresponds to the day of the month, so today we would read Proverbs chapter who knows it's Sunday? Who knows what day of the month it is? <laughs> Today's the 14th. Today you would read Proverbs 14 and you would gain day by day along with whatever else you're reading, you would gain wisdom because to grow wiser you need wisdom to start with. Foolishness and wisdom both have inertia, they both have momentum, they both carry you where they've already started. 
you, and if you don't begin to listen, Proverbs 9, 7 through 9 warns that it gets worse for everybody. Look with me, please, in Proverbs chapter 8 now. Here's wisdom's invitation. And remember, this really is also the voice of God. Wisdom is only being personified. This is God's heart, God's disposition toward people. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in the front of the town, that's that's the civic center in the ancient world. That's where decisions are made. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. In other words, she's in public spaces as well. She's everywhere that matters as well, and she too is crying out. She's making her own invitation. Verse 4, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Does anybody else in your life speak to you that way? Because anybody else in your life give you the assurance that every word they ever say to you is wise and true and righteous. Anybody else live like that? Oh, that's why it's so exhausting. You never know how self-interested people may be, how they may be shading the truth to serve themselves. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. What has this passage told us so far? Here's wisdom. Wisdom desires, first of all, to be heard and to be loved. Wisdom is always true and always right. Everything that God said to you is always true and it's always right. And I'm just being very practical. I'm not in the slightest bit trying to be condescending to you or to anyone else because the Lord knows, my wife knows, what a fool I can be and what a fool I have been. But here's what foolishness versus wisdom sounds like in real life. I know what the Bible says. Can you guess the next word? But. And here comes the exception. I mean, literally everything in the world, including felonies, I've heard in conversation with, I know what the Bible says, but. In marriage, it sounds like this. You don't know what she's like. (laughs) You don't know what they've done. You don't know how he is. You don't know about my boss. You don't know about my company. You don't know about my childhood. Wisdom says, because it's God speaking, I know all of that, and I will always guide you in the right path. Every single one of these verses speaks to the integrity and the truthfulness of God. Verse 7, my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. What else is true about wisdom? Well, verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver. 
and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is saying, I'm better than anything else you want. Let's make that practical. Have you known any rich fools? Have you ever wanted to be like them? That's how foolishness, how attractive foolishness is. Many people are tempted, they're drawn to foolishness if only they can have money while doing it. In fact, we've created a culture that at least for a few people rewards foolishness by making some of the fools exorbitantly wealthy. That's part of the loudness and the silliness and the stupidity of the age. Because a few outliers have made piles of money make being foolish, maybe you can be foolish and you'll make money too. Did you hear the end of the warning? The fool who sets his foot on that path, he doesn't know that the house he's being invited to actually conceals rotting graves. Wisdom says, I'm better than anything you could possibly want. You would be better off having me rather than money. Verse 12, I, wisdom, deal with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about reverence for God. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. Listen, 2019. So now timely, how challenging this is. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. Wisdom is the basis, in other words, for good leadership and good government. If you want good governance in any area of your life, beginning with yourself, you have to be wise. You have to discern God's path rather than your own. And then it says in verse 17 and following that wisdom always rewards everyone who loves her. Verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Just zero in on verse 17. We're nearly done, believe it or not. Hasn't been that bad, has it? Here's the invitation through personification. Wisdom says, you love me, I'll love you back. You love God, you'll never outlove Him. You love God, you humble yourself, you submit your ways, your plans, your designs, your dreams, you submit those to the loving God who made you, who gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins so that you could have eternal life. You listen to Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who, hear, who comes to me will never be hungry, and anyone who believes me will never go thirsty. Wisdom is being, is in the abstract here, and it's being personified to help us understand it. But given enough time in God's love, wisdom Himself, Jesus Christ, would walk among us. And He would never say a lie. He was the kind of man who could actually speak to men who hated Him and said, which one of you accuses me of sin? 
you want to see a difference between yourself and Jesus, just put yourself in that exact scenario. Imagine yourself saying to people who have scrutinized your life, can anyone tell me of anything I've done wrong? Would you dare do that? I wouldn't. People who know me well would say, well, where do I start? What do you want? Character traits? Decision-making process? The way you speak to people, the way you listen to people? What do you want to hear? How many of your faults would you like to explore today? Jesus is utterly unique. He is wisdom in human form. He is God in the flesh, come to die for foolishness, come to cover foolishness and sin and rebellion with His death so that you didn't have to earn it and figure it all out on your own. Please, if you're new to church, if you're picking up a Bible and this is all a very alien word to you because you've got a pastor with an old book who he's telling you is what he's reading alone is 3,000 years old, I have to figure all this out. No, you don't. The announcement of the gospel is that Jesus did it for you, not that you have to do it for yourself. His forgiveness that we've been singing about is not earned, it's given at tremendous cost to himself. But this verse 17 is always true in all of your dealings with God and with wisdom. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. In other words, the very things you thought were worth acting a fool over, I have those too. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Path of wisdom has in it every single thing you've ever desired because wisdom rewards those who love her. Here's how important wisdom is. I'm just going to read this section without explaining it much to you because it speaks for itself. But just use your imagination and your memory to think of every show you've ever seen that takes you deep inside God's creation shows you the depths of the ocean and all the amazing creatures that live in it, takes you to the highest mountain peaks, shows you volcanoes. Listen to wisdom speak of her usefulness in the hands of God when God made the world around you. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth when there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth before He made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He made firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned the sea its limit, we're just east of it. And there was a day that God set a limit to the Pacific. When He assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master workman. I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always. 
rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. There's the banquet. Wisdom was crucial, essential in God's creation. He used His vast wisdom to make the world, and He delights in the work of His hands, which is why He sent Jesus to die for sin in the first place. To invite you into the feast of life that sin has ruined and that foolishness tells you can have that banquet, you can have that feast without Him at all. And that's the worst, most deadly, and most wicked lie anybody could ever tell you. So before we're done, I want to show you two short sections in this same passage that tells you where to begin gaining this wisdom. How do we start? Look in Proverbs 9, verse 10. To gain wisdom, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is what? Is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't start with God, you'll lose everything else. This has been a challenging sermon. It's been a challenging sermon to deliver. It's probably been much more challenging to hear. So if you don't hear anything else, hear that. If you don't have God, you'll lose everything else you love and everything else He made. You were not made to live apart from Him. You were made to love Him and enjoy Him. Those of us who have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can tell you with all of our ups and downs and with all of our intermittent from time to time and sometimes constant foolishness, He is loving and faithful and good, and He delivers on every single promise He made. And we're not enjoying the life He's given us because we're smarter than anyone else. We're enjoying the life He gave us because He's better than anyone because He's gracious, and He humbled my heart when I was a child to hear Him. I was the most, I can't even begin to tell you, if you could see the video, you wouldn't want to listen to me now all these years later. I was the worst kid, so proud, so self-centered, so much so that my mother was old-fashioned and she spanked me, and often when she got done spanking me, I would spit on her. I know, that's what she said. And it would go like this some days when I was especially foolish, spank, spit, spank, spit, spank, spit, until I got tired. Apart from the grace of God, I've, I've seen inside this heart, apart from the grace of God, I would likely be dead or in jail. And the voice of wisdom says to children and to the aged, to everyone, at every season in life, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You're invited not to make your own life the way you want it. You're invited to enjoy life on God's terms as He knows it is best lived because He made it. But look at verse 12. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Whew. What's that mean? Now that you've heard these two women call out to you, please understand this. You'll have to live with your choices. See, here's the thing with God's Word. This is God's Word I've been explaining to you. 
prayerfully with a great deal of apprehension. It changes you. You'll never be the same after hearing what God says is right and true. And if you don't respond in a positive, humble way to it, it actually gets you in more trouble than you were in to start with. Because once you know the truth, you can look away, but you can never say that you didn't know. That's the sobering thing about dealing with God. He loves you. He made you. He gave you this whole library that we're exploring. And most importantly, He, give, he gave you His Son. And this principle of wisdom is always true in all of your dealings with wisdom and in all of your dealings with God. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. In other words, if you choose the path of humble wisdom and to walk with God, you'll have the blessing for it. Your life will be blessed and most improved by all if you do it for yourself first, you will be the one who inherits all of those blessings. But if you scoff, you alone will bear it. So a final word of instruction from wisdom, if you look back with me in chapter 8, verse 32. Here's Lady Wisdom trying to close the deal, trying to get you and me to walk with her. 8.32, now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me, what's it say? love death. Boy, that's a strong finish from Lady Wisdom. She, she's not talking to you about choosing your own adventure and life's going to all work out some way. No. She's telling you that the words she has set before you are literally words of life and death. So here's my simple, straightforward, person to person, from one man who can be quite foolish to you. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've been hanging around and hearing the gospel and hearing of the cross and the empty tomb that were all for your sake to save you, but you've been wondering what to do with it and postponing it, please stop and come to Him right now. Ask His forgiveness. Humble yourself and say to Jesus when I pray in a moment more, Lord, please save me. I get it. The foolishness, the scars, all the trouble, all the pain that I've caused in my life, that's on me. Please come. Be in charge of me. I accept your death in my place. Please forgive me. Bring me into your family. Love me. Make all these promises, some of which I've understood, some of which I've not, but make it all true for me. And he will. You have the promise of Jesus on that. No one who comes to him has ever been cast aside because he came to save and he came to open up the banquet doors and invite you into a, right, a life that is richer and better and more meaningful and more important in eternity than you ever imagined. You just have to be determined to hurl over your pride and enjoy the feast. Let's pray. Christian, Jesus follower, can I give you a moment? 
to make a little inventory of your own life and to ask God's forgiveness for whatever foolishness you know is in it. As I read those long passages, you were reminded of things. You were reminded of decisions. You were reminded of habits. You know they're foolish. They're killing you. They're slowly squeezing the life out of you. You know it. Would you turn to your heavenly Father, ask His forgiveness, ask Him to put your feet back on the right path? And if you're not sure of your relationship with God, it begins with Jesus. It begins with asking Him simply and humbly to forgive your path, your way, your sin, and to take over, take charge of you, be your boss and your Savior. He's listening. You can call out to Him and ask Him. And whatever decision you made, I'd love to invite you to find the card in your bulletin Leave us a little contact information. Let us know how you've crossed the line, what commitment, what decision you've made, and if you have questions. Sometimes those are the very best things. I'd love to hear them. I'd love to sit down with you and discuss them. We won't look for my wisdom. We'll look for the Lord's because He'll always be true and He'll always be right. Whatever he's dealing with you right now in this season of life with all its pressures, all his burdens, why don't you tell him about it? Tell him you're tired of your path and you're ready for his. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that in so many different ways speaks with timely, urgent accuracy into our lives. Make us wise, make us humble, make us repentant. Give us the grace this day, Lord Jesus, to walk with you. And if there's a single person here who needs you, who is close, inches away from the kingdom, give them the grace right now to turn their back on pride or whatever may hold them back and turn themselves over to you. I pray further, Lord, that they would let us know so that we may celebrate with them, pray for them, encourage them along the way. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the feast that wisdom that you and your love can provide. We ask this in Jesus' name. Crosspoint said, amen. God bless you.